Blog Talk Radio. everyone, my name is Sarah Uchoff and I am the host and creator of Trundlebed Tales. Um, this is the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, one-room schools, and other social history. Uh, be sure to find us all around the web under Trundlebed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account, please leave positive feedback because that helps people find the show. And today's episode is a Travel Times episode about the, the Homestead National uh, Historic Park. They just changed the name, uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to remember to say the same thing. It used to be Homestead National Monument. All right. Uh, now, normally I have a chat going for this, but I'm not entirely sure if I'm going to get through this in half an hour or not, and I really don't want to take it too much longer than that. Now watch, it'll be incredibly short. So I'm not going to have uh, the chat open, but you can call in at 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253. Or toll free, 1-877-633-9389. That's toll free, one 877 And that is the end of our housekeeping. Oh my goodness, I just looked at the time and it actually is not going to be going on full time as a streaming thing. Um, Goodness gracious, I did not get that set up. Well, that's what happens when you don't do episodes enough. And as always, I've got a lot of them planned. I'm hoping that I can get one done this week for uh, the 50th anniversary of the Laura Ingalls Wilder pageant in Dismet. They're having a big thing all this all this month um, and stuff's going on at all the other home sites. So I'm hoping to get one done for that. Uh, I did not do a schedule like I do a lot. Most normal years I do a schedule of the Laura events, but really they change, are changing so much where people are cutting things and putting stuff back that it's just been, I, I haven't wanted to try and keep it current because I might have long information on there. So, but I do want to do a report on the podcast this summer about what's going on. So we still have to do that. But all that aside, today we're going to talk about the Homestead National Historic Site. Now it is located in Beatrice, Nebraska. And it is pronounced Beatrice, which is actually the same way my great-great-aunt's name is pronounced. So I feel a kinship for it right there. Now, uh, if you're a Laura fan, you may remember it because they did a TV show event there 
some years ago, which is one of the first times I heard about the Homestead National Historic Park. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. Uh, Beatrice, Nebraska is a little far off the beaten path from any place. But its location is because it's the first homestead that was filed on. And uh, that was filed by Daniel Freeman. And we have another striking clock we just got. That's just going all the heck. Okay. Uh, The homestead was filed by Daniel Freeman, who actually was interesting for another reason, and we will get to that a little later. Now, the homestead, of course, comes from the National Homestead Act, which was through in the early 1860s when the Democrats left Congress um, to with the southern states, not all the Democrats, but a lot of them. And they had been blocking having a Homestead Act come through because they didn't want small farmers to have land. They wanted it to be open for uh, plantations, basically. So, uh, it was definitely the Republicans pushed it through. Also, they had the uh, National Land Grant, Grant College at the same time that act went through. And there's one other one that usually goes with us, but I can't remember what it is right now. Anyway, so what the Homestead, the Homestead Act said was that basically people would be given 160 acres of land for filing on it on a filing fee if you met certain requirements, one of which was that you or your family had to live on it for six months a year at least, and you had to plant and cultivate at least 10 acres of crops. Now, uh, it that sounds like pretty minimum requirements, but it actually was a challenge to make sure that you could support yourself on that while you were trying to get the homestead up to date, particularly if you didn't have a lot of money to buy equipment, because this is the period, this post-Civil War uh, period was when there was a lot of equipment coming in for the first time, reapers and binders and um, eventually combines and planters and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So what is the site like today? Well, it's 160 acres, and uh, the it is mostly wild, that have been restored to wild prairie. Uh, there are several little collections of buildings on the property, but a lot of it is prairie that you can walk through. They've got three miles of looping trails. Uh, before we get too far into that, there uh, I want to point out that there are several hotels in town. Uh, now, this last one we stayed in was not a good one, but the one we stayed in before was was pretty good. So there's um, there's enough hotels in town you really want to look them over. 
and check out the ratings online before you pick one. The town is big enough to have several fast food places, including a McDonald's. Now, if you are familiar with my size rating system on towns, you'll know that if there is a McDonald's, there will be quite a few other restaurants of various levels and various types in town. McDonald's is sort of the top of the um, fast food ladder. And usually if there's a McDonald's, there's going to be other choices. So even if you don't like McDonald's, it's a good, useful thing to know if they have one or not. They also have a Sonic, which is apparently pretty popular and current in a lot of the country. But uh, we sadly lost both our Sonics that we used to have right around here. And a Sonic is a drive-in. So uh, there is a drive-through too usually, but the drive-in has the big panels with the menu right there and you push the button and order through it. And then the people in the restaurant bring it out to you and put it on uh, your car on a tray. And it's just, it is, it it is just such a fun thing to do. And when we had uh, my niece and nephew out in South Dakota a few years ago, we had decided uh, to go to the Sonic instead of the uh, Cracker Barrel which is another one that I like, that there's none around here, at least none close. So uh, we were there, and they not only had never been to a drive-in, they didn't know what a drive-in was. So if you have kids and you ask them if they know what a drive-in is, and if they don't, stop at one sometimes. And you could do that in Beatrice, where they have it. Uh, I also want to mention on the way home, it actually uh, talks about Beatrice, Laura and Almanzo and Rose coming south, went through the town. And uh, the things they mentioned were, were the county courthouse, which is a very pretty building. Um, it's like county courthouses are around here. Uh, if you If you live where there aren't counties, the courthouse is normally the center of county government. And it, of course, is where they have trials. And it also is where they have all like the little license bureaus and things like that. Uh, The ones that were built in uh, the 19th century are all have really beautiful stonework. And this is a particularly nice uh, county or um, County Courthouse, so I'm sure that's why Laura mentioned it. And you can still go and see it. It's still the courthouse, which isn't always true, but it is still the courthouse there in Beatrice. And it's on a nice square and well worth taking a stop at. I did not get to look inside it because I was there on a Saturday and it was closed. But I think if you could get in, uh, it would probably be pretty on the inside too. And I am guessing that Laura and Manley went in and looked around. Uh, They also crossed the Big Blue River. They talk about doing that. And if you are heading out from the actual town of Beatrice to the Homestead uh, National Historic Park, you also will cross the Big Blue River. And there are quite a few places there where you can pull over to the side and take a picture of the river. And I always like to do that. And I'm big fan of taking pictures of rivers and from bridges and that kind of thing. 
So uh, there uh, are also, this is not something that was mentioned in On the Way Home, but just as an interesting aside, also on the route between Beatrice and uh, and the homestead, there is a church. And this church has a barn quilt in front of it. And it's not actually on the building as a lot of barn quilts originally were. It's on a couple of poles in the middle of their kind of front yard. And there's actually two quilts shown on it. One is showing on each direction. There are two different quilts. And the one that is facing towards town is Doves in the Window. Now, Doves in the Window, of course, was the name Laura gave for her quilt pattern uh, when she talked about uh, making a quilt in uh, the first four years. And there has been a lot of debate about what she meant by Doves in the Window because, frankly, quilt names, quilt pattern names, are very are very confusing because they really weren't set up that way to um, to really be a pattern that people could follow. So you ended up with people having uh, similar names for a lot of things. A lot of times the names came later, and uh, it. So the result is there have been quite a few things that were called doves in the window window that uh, might have been what Laura was talking about or might not. So I'm not promising this is the right doves in the window, but it's a doves in the window, and I just think it's a nice extra Laura connection. Now, the Homestead Act passed in 1862, and it's set up at this homestead so you can sort of get a feel of how the act worked. On the way in to the visitor center, there is a wall and it has a black plate outlines of every state that had homesteaded land in it. And in that state outline, they have cut out how much how much of the state was homesteaded. So they call that the living wall, and it's great fun to find your state. You'll also see that there are a lot of states that had homesteading in them than you might not think they did. For example, Florida. I always think that was kind of odd, but that was actually how Laura's cousin, Peter Ingalls, got his land in Florida was through a homestead. Uh, so the first building by the big parking lot is the visitor center, and it is called the Homestead Heritage Center uh, Exhibits. It has Land of Dreams, which is a 23-minute film about homesteading, and I watched it the last time I came through and really enjoyed it. Uh, there, It was an interesting film. And on the way in, there's a wall art hanging thing that has the different little sections of the different ways that homestead houses, houses were built by homesteaders. 
and that's really interesting too. Uh, there is also in this visitor center out in the entryway a place where you can do research on homestead records. Now, that is a nice thing to have because for a long time, well, for a long time, they were just public records. And anybody could get them who wanted to go to Washington, D.C., where they were kept and get them. But then someone pointed out that these records, uh, would have identifiable information uh, that, especially for the later records, that you might not want to be public. There was a lawsuit about it, and so all of the land plant patent databases and the homestead databases were pulled down while information was removed. But uh, you can at least research it there in the visitor center, and I actually haven't looked lately, but I think that you're able to search a version of it now, too, though I now have a to-do this week to check on that. Uh, also, at the Homestead Visitor Center, they have an audio descriptive service, and they have Braille brochures available with the text on it, and they have a wheelchair there on site for you to use if you need it. The museum exhibit is in the lower part of the museum, and it really is kind of a nice job. And it hits on immigration, agriculture, industrialization, native tribes, and tall grass prairie ecosystems. There's also then a second building, which is actually down and around the corner. There's a walking path between them, or you can drive around. There is a parking lot by the second section. And they call that the Homestead Education Center. And uh, it is used for a couple different things. First of all, there's some ranger housing behind it, which I think is kind of awesome. I love ranger housing. Uh, and not that you can get in there. I just, I just like it. Uh, there is also... Um, a area in there for events so you can have chairs up in there if you're if they're doing a lecture or whatever uh, they also have an art exhibit of some kind normally up on the wall uh, so that's where you do exhibits and events uh, they also have a gift shop there actually there's a gift shop at both places but there's a little bit more of the book um, research, uh, prairie fiction, that kind of stuff is more at the Historic Center gift shop. There is also a lot of actual artifacts on display. Now, the museum up at the Visitor Center is very, um, it's, it, it's talking about different things. So they're talking about telling you a story and telling you different people's story and the land story. And as you're doing that, you want some artifacts and you won't want others because what you need are things that tell the story. Now, down at the education center, they have pretty much all the artifacts that they might ever want that uh, talk about farming especially but they have some other things, too, on display there. Now, they aren't set up, really, so there's a 
stories per se, but if you want to know how did pioneers do something, how did farmers in the 19th century do something, they have the equipment on display right there. They actually, my favorite was they have a, a hog oiler, and I just love those. I know it's a weird thing to love, but they're really cool. So anyway, that's the main center down there. Now, uh, it's interesting that Daniel Freeman was uh, the first person to file because that means there was a second reason why this should be a national uh, park unit, and that is because of the schoolhouse. Now, this is just a little ways over from the education center. There's a path that walks there. There's also a, a parking lot you can pull in. The parking lot is gravel, and depending on what their weather has been, you may or may not want to actually park there. The parking lots in the other two places are um, cement. So uh, this School was a one-room school from 1872 to 1967. It was School District 21 in Blakely Township. And in 1899, Daniel Freeman, who I think must have been a very interesting soul, uh, got mad. And the reason he got mad was that the teacher was using stories from the Bible as part of her teaching. They were reading out of the Bible. And he objected to that. And I don't think, as I understand it, I don't think that he had any real religious reason to not want that, but he just thought it was wrong. And by gosh, he was going to do something about it. So he filed a lawsuit in 1899, and uh, he, it was a case about using the Bible in school. Now, it was almost decided in the teacher's favor because she had cleared it with the school board, and she had set it up so that it would be okay. And then she testified, and when she testified, she talked about using it to promote religion. And why anyone would say that when they knew what the court case was about, I have no idea. But the Nebraska Supreme Court ruled in Freeman's favor and said that, uh, it, that you have to separate church and state in schools. And that ruling came down in 1902, and it was the first separation of church and state in schools uh, decision that there had been. And when later cases came back to it or, or were, were being tried, this uh, a case being settled this way is one of the precedents they looked at. So it was kind of important for a couple different reasons. Now, if you're going to go there today, there are 100 acres of prairie. There are three miles of walking trails. And uh, I want to tell you that there's some interesting things to see on the walking trails. 
There isn't just a prairie, which, which there is, but there's also on one side, they're just finishing this up when I was there, but they have examples of about, I don't know, 20, 30 feet of the different kinds of fencing that homesteaders used throughout the years. And uh, that is rail fences of various patterns. Uh, it's got um, barbed wire, woven wire, the cement posts. You don't see very much of it. I don't think it was popular very long, but it's too bad because the ones that are there are definitely all there, which you cannot say about a lot of fence posts. So that is a fun thing to look at. And there's also along one side of the trail is an Osage orange hedge. Now, if you do not know about Osage orange, it was a plant. Now, for a while, and... My mom worked for the Extension Service, so we know a lot about the things that the Extension Service recommended over the years. And one of the worst things they ever recommended was trying to have a natural fence. And that was to recommend that you would plant things like Osage oranges or multiflora roses uh, in your fence line, and that would deter any animals from going through it because they are—they have thorns there. Not something anybody's wanting to do anything about. Now, when I was little, we had—we pretty much got them cleared out now. But there were pockets of multiflora roses pretty much everywhere in our timber because. We, this, nobody on this farm had ever planted multiflora rose, but birds take the seeds from that nice, neat hedgerow and carry them all over the place and plant it. So you have these bushes come up, and I can tell you that they were not things that animals like cows messed around with much. You, you can go out, at, when I was little, you could go out in our timber and you'd just see these solid little groupings of plants uh, of the multiple rows that nobody or nothing could get through, which is why I say it was really a mistake. So people tried to plant these and they... It just made a mess because you had these really hard-to-contain plants spreading all over the, the place. So they couldn't really keep them in those nice, neat fence row lines. But there is an Osage orange hedgerow along one side of the Daniel Freeman farm. Now, I'm not sure when it was put in, but you always hear about this, and you never see it. A friend of mine, when he worked at, uh, I think it was Connors Prairie. I'm pretty sure it was Connors Prairie. He uh, had planted, gotten some seeds and had put in a hedgerow. And uh, the gardeners, even though he told everybody, even though he would got permission, even though these things had 
were not just coming up. They were like, you know, a foot tall or so when he planted them in the row. The uh, groundskeeping staff mowed them off because they thought it, it looked like a weed. And so you have people, it, it's really hard to see the plants in an actual hedgerow kept up because the ones that are left are usually isolated and not by themselves. And a lot of them really weren't in fences and hedgerows to begin with, but they have one there. And I did not find that out till after I got home. So if I would get back there again, I'm definitely going to look at the Osage orange hedgerows. Uh, and also as you go on the walk, you'll see the na native prairie plants on exhibit. And there's, of course, little signs pointing out particular ones. And also the Freeman family graves are at the top of the hill with a 1925 Dar monument that they set up, Daughters of the American Revolution. Now, the last thing is up by the actual visitor center, there's also a walk. And there's some equipment just set out outside there's also. But there's also a cabin, and this cabin is the um, Palmer Eppard cabin. It was built in 1867, which is the same year Laura was born, and it was on another farm near there. It wasn't actually on a Daniel Freeman farm, but since it was this homesteading log cabin, and it was still around and in relatively good shape, they moved it to uh, the Homestead National Historic Park in, in June 1950. Then as the park developed, they moved it three more times. And knowing how hard it is to move a cabin, I have no clue what they were thinking when they did that. But anyway, it is now up by the visitor center. It has been restored to look like a cabin would look like for somebody homesteading if they had the wood to make a log cabin. There uh, is a picture of Abraham Lincoln up in it, which is just so true to form, both because of Lincoln as a person and also because of his role in getting the Homestead Act done. And I think that's about all I have to tell you. And I think that... Uh, Nobody's listening right now because I had the time set wrong when I got it started, which is what happens when you start things out. Uh, I am hoping that I'll be able to make another report later in this week about the 50th. I want to have another episode this month about the more events that we do know about and what's going on. Uh, I am hopeful that we'll get a couple more events or then I'm going to do hopefully roving reports from the Smet when I go there this uh, month at the end of the month. And I think that is um, pretty much uh, what we're going to have in the near future. And with that, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Trundle Bed Tales Travel Times. And that we will hear from you soon. Remember to brighten the corner where you are and look for us all around the web at Trendle Bed Tales.
Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.